Welcome to Saving the Game. This is episode 56, Making Locations Gameable. Recorded Thursday, February 5th of 2015, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. How you doing? Pretty good. How are you doing this week? You know, I'm doing okay. It's been really busy at work, but things are moving along, which is nice. Getting and a lot see, done. See, at mine, things are calming down, which has also been nice. Yes, Coming well. Coming out of that holiday crunch in the retail environment is, is a huge relief when it finally happens. We're getting ready for inventory, but the intensity level is nowhere near as high. Uh, so I, I bet. We're making a number of internal changes and reorganizations. The promotion I mentioned in the bonus episode, that was part of that. We're trying to put in some new processes to just, you know, be more efficient and all that sort of thing, which is generally nice. That's a good thing. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, we might actually be a better functioning company. That's exciting. Yeah, whenever that sort of thing comes down the the pike, as long as the the people who are actually going to be using it have input, it's usually a pretty positive thing. Right. And, and I'm specifically trying to set up processes uh, for those in more software-y sort of fields, Kanban and things like that, where there's a lot of openness and management input, but also clarity to managers as to what changing priorities does to the existing workflow, things like that. Sounds like that's all to the good then. Yeah. So I got a couple of things I need to plug real quick. Okay. Because they're plugging us first. We've gotten a lot of mentions in the past two weeks, which will be like two and a half weeks late for everyone listening because I'm really slow at editing. But I need to call out a few people because they mentioned us in various places or did things with us or are just really cool and I can't not talk about them. First of these, the Gameable Disney Podcast. You can find this at gameabledisneypodcast.tumblr.com. Gameable is G-A-M-E-A-B-L-E. And they're using Tumblr to host it, which I think is just kind of neat. Anyway, I got to mention these guys because they did a bonus episode on villains. Disney villains, of course. And mentioned us, uh, I think right around like the 18-minute mark or something like that in this long podcast. But they tagged us and I was like, oh, hey, I should check this out. It is one of the best podcast episodes I've heard in ages. From anybody. And I've been just chomping at the bit trying to get this working all week, and I think I finally have the file pulled down. I had some difficulties with my phone, so... Yeah, well, you've been missing out. I've been missing out. They've been added to my backlog, and as soon as I work through my existing backlog, I'm starting from episode one and going through it. There is so much smart commentary about characters and stories and games in this podcast. I, I was blown away. Well, I mean, Disney movies are a gold mine of ideas and stuff. So and I that's absolutely can't wait true. just on that basis alone. But the host did an amazing job pulling. They did a great job emptying that mine and spreading it out to veins that I didn't think were there. And then you look at it and go, this is real high quality stuff you're pulling out of this mine. Okay. It's good. It's really good. All right. Well, I was looking forward to it already, but wow. Yeah, I, I was really blown away, and I can't thank them enough for mentioning us. Likewise, I need to give a shout-out to Michael Withers, who did a fun little interview with us for Christian Geek Central. 
Oh, and that was fun. <laughs> that was great. Uh, ChristianGeekCentral.com. If you listen to us, I think you need to go subscribe to this website in whatever form you want to. But he did this great 20 questions interview with us. Peter and I had a lot of fun with it. A little bit of silly. Okay. Uh, more, more than a, a little silly substantial amount me. of silly. <laughs> uh, but some serious answers, too. So if you're really curious about that, it's easy to find. Again, ChristianGeekCentral.com. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Michael's a regular in the Tavern, which is the Inroads Ministries Facebook group. He's a great guy. Always a lot of good stuff that he posts and comments on. So uh, look him up there. Look up this website. Read our thing, obviously, because we we had a blast doing it. But there was a lot of other stuff on there that I, I think is coming down the pike and is going to be interesting to keep on top of. And then the last thing, a little bit different for us, perhaps, uh, System Mastery, which is a podcast all about RPG systems and is usually somewhat not safe for work. Definitely doesn't have any sort of Christian slant to it <laughs> or even a family-friendly slant to it, although they are very good at pointing out a lot of problems with things that make them not safe for work. I don't know if that makes any sense, but if you listen to them, you'll, you'll understand what I'm talking about. SystemMasteryPodcast.com. Like I said, they do reviews of RPG books, specifically out-of-print ones that are probably terrible. That's kind of an intriguing concept. Yeah, it basically anything that was like self-published or was has this bad reputation or is just kind of weird and out there. You know, they're not out there reviewing Pathfinder. They're reviewing After Cinnabar. the Bomb. Uh, Cinnabar, <laughs> the two-part Cinnabar review. Uh, After the Bomb, which is what the Palladium Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game morphed into when they lost, lost the, uh, the license to TMNT. Just some terrible, you know, one-off self-published stuff. But I mentioned them because I've been a fan of theirs for a while because they're also very, very smart people who really understand what makes a system and a book good and how to avoid certain social problems and calling out problems in games like hey this game lends itself to a particular style of play that is toxic at the table which is the kind of thing that we are invested in we're coming at it from a different angle but we're concerned with the same things and this is anything from blatant racism and sexism to this just lends people to be competitive in ways that aren't healthy or fun you know all sorts of things wow that sounds like that should go on my list too I think you would enjoy it. They gave us a shout out and they gave us a shout out because I sent them a pair of books that I had that I had opened maybe four times in nine years. Oh, well, I spent. OK, what were these? Come on. They were Deliria, which is a game about how awesome fairies are and how they're so much better than you. And no, we don't need a system to tell you that. Trust me, it's fine. There's a system in here somewhere. Good luck finding it. Uh, also known as DeviantArt the RPG. <laughs> it's seriously, it's just chock full of naked fairy art. I really didn't think I was buying naked fairy art when I bought a book that was supposed to be changeling. Maybe I was a little naive, you know? Eh, well, you know. it was. It's supposed to be a lighter take on changeling kind of in a way it's not changeling per se but has some of that same fey thing but seriously it's three chapters at least before you get to any system whatsoever and the first three chapters are aren't fairies awesome so okay i literally never found the rules on how to make a character well that one's definitely not going on my list of things to check no, out but the review should be fantastic because this is the sort of thing that they excel in and interestingly, the author is a rather prolific White Wolf contributor and author. 
So there's an interesting dichotomy of, okay, this guy should know what he's doing, but the book seems terrible. Maybe it's an early days thing or something? Uh, I, I don't know. It's like, is it just really badly formatted and he didn't have a good editor for it because it's self-published and with a better editor and layout person, it would be amazing because he would say, hey, here's the game and here's the setting and you can understand it. I, I don't know. But anyway. Okay, so what was the other one? Uh, it was an expansion book that I got for this because it wasn't going to do me any good sitting on my shelf if I didn't have the core book anymore. Okay. It was the first time that these guys had received a actual physical book from a listener. They'd had a couple people send PDFs in, I think. But, you know, I was like, well, listen, guys, I'll pay for shipping. Get it off my shelf. Make room for something I will actually play because that will never top the list of books I want to play a game from. Even if I figured it out, it just wouldn't be my thing anymore. So I was like, I would get more out of sending this to these guys and having them review it and having a laugh about it than I would with it sitting on my shelf. I will say, speaking of fairies and stuff, if somebody ever decides they want to do Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, a role-playing game, mm -hmm. I am on that, like, something on something appropriate. I mean, it's just... I, I may have to get that in yeah, at I some point. Yeah, I would pounce on that. Oh, you would love it. It's written in authentic period vernacular. It reads like Austin. To give you some idea of how far behind I am on books, I just read The Alley of Law last night. Yeah, and it looks like you enjoyed it. You screamed through it in four hours, according to your update, so... Yeah, a little less, because I really enjoyed it and didn't put it down. And it's not a long book, but... No, and Sanderson it writes quick, snappy prose that you can get through quickly, I would disagree. Too. If you really want to follow it, you do have to pay attention. You can't just... You do, It's not but... this turgid word salad that you have to struggle through, but yeah. you want to pay attention. Anyway, digressing again. Yeah. System Mastery thanked me in their latest episode and also put in a plug for saving the game and a link off of the show notes and that sort of thing. So I wanted to thank them for that. Well, that was nice of them. Yeah, it really was, especially since they're really just doing it because I, you know, sent them something. They're like, oh, hey, cool. This guy has a podcast, too. You should check it out. It looks great. You know, I think they said something like that. Cool. Very exciting. Anyway. And lastly, if you happen to be finding us because Gameable Disney Podcast or Christian Geek Central or System Mastery had a link to us and you followed it and are listening to us because of that, hello! I'm glad you're here. Yeah, welcome. We always like getting new listeners. And for all of you who've been listening, hello too. You're also awesome. Yes. <laughs> Especially those of you that we've met and interacted with. Because yes. as we've said many times before, we have some of the best listeners in all of podcasting. Yes. I feel like I should say something here, but I kind of don't want to jinx it given the last couple of times. Okay, fair enough. Should, should, should we I get into our scripture? Should I say then? it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and say it. Okay. I am trying to make it to Fear the Con this year. Fear the Con 8. There we are. Yes! It's out. Yes! Something will, will happen. get in... to meet Grant in no, person. No, no, no. Don't <laughs> commit. Don't commit. It'll be jinxed. <sighs> You're probably right. Yeah, I know. I am looking forward to the possible opportunity, which is in no way certain, to meet Grant in person, if it works out. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> let's do scripture, shall we? Yes, let's. All right. You want Genesis or Ephesians? Uh, I'll take Genesis. Why not? Okay. All right, so this is Genesis 13, 14 to 17. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. 
And this is Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 21. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. So our topic tonight is taking real places and turning them into gameable locations. And this one was one that I didn't really think we had all that much material for for about three seconds. And then I took a look at the outline that um, Grant put into the email. And now looking at the real one, we've got a lot here. So let's get <laughs> yeah, into we it. Do. <laughs> Which is why we had the longest intro ever, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But anyway, so I wanted to talk about this for two reasons. Well, here's the big reason. There are a lot of games that are set in, you know, far-flung, fantastic locations, but there are probably just as many, well, probably not just as many, but quite a few, set in real places. Anything from a Dresden Files game, to the Inspectors game that I ran, to a gritty GURPS game, to... A not-at-all-gritty GURPS game? <laughs> yeah, alternate history games, all sorts of things that all kind of say, let's take a real-world place, maybe twist it around a bit... But let's start with a real place and build from it. Or there are games like spy thriller games. We've talked about the Dracula dossier and Trail of Cthulhu and things like that before, where, you know, maybe you're jumping from place to place, but the details of a particular location are really important because you need to be able to do reconnaissance and, you know, find out a lot of information about the place that you're in so that you know who you can trust and who you can't. And knowing a lot about those places and being able to turn a location that you've never been to or just visited or something like that into someplace gameable and real takes a fair bit of work. And we wanted to talk about that process. Well, then just a real quick aside in a spy game, you really need some detail sometimes because it may be relevant where the exits are in that building. Sure, sure. I don't want to get it down to buildings you know that scale just yet we might get to some of that yeah i just wanted to like i said an aside even then you need to be able to know okay what are the the closest public transportation spots yeah near in this area where's the nearest airport that's usually important in a spy game or you know are there docks near here yeah that's also usually important all sorts of fun things, right? All sorts of things you need to know. It's it's that kind of gritty detail that you need. Even if your campaign is going from place to place, you need to have that info. Or if you're doing something where you're in one city and your story is about that city, you need a lot of detail about that one location to make things, make that city come alive. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other advantage to this is that you get internally consistent places and characters, and you get characters who have hooks built into them. There's a big difference between I grew up in Chicago and yeah, I went to Curie Metro High School in Chicago, you know, on the on whatever side of Chicago it is. That automatically implies a richer history and you know a connection. Maybe you got high school friends, maybe you remember old teachers, maybe it explains why you're terrible at math, but really good at biology, you know, anything like that. Yeah. Maybe you walked past, you know, some important site on your way to and from school and saw something there. Or Right. You you go, went by this park every day. and Or this museum. I mean, Chicago is dense with museums. 
Oh, sure. All sorts of possibilities. The third huge benefit of this, and I found this prepping for our inspectors game, is that you find things that you would never have thought of for your own game that turn out to be fantastic, whether it's plot hooks or just cool details. So we've talked about why it's important and we've talked about when you should do it. Let's talk about how. Sounds good. Let's hit the obvious stuff first. Well-known tourist places and things that everybody knows about a location. This is usually a city or major landmark. I think everybody knows that Disney World has like Epcot and the Magic Kingdom. Yeah. So if you've got a plot happening at Disney World, you kind of just know that those are there, right? Another bit of advice that everybody gives, I think, is use Google Maps. Now, I think that's a little too broad because simply looking at a satellite view doesn't make it very gameable. But if you need to have a car chase or you need to know the layout of a city block or a parking lot or something, yeah, Google Maps is fantastic. Well, and it also, in the the GURPS game that lasted for one session and then got put on hiatus and I hope we get back to, I wanted to have the adventure someplace remote inside the United States. So I was like, well, Nebraska is pretty remote. So I pulled up a map of Nebraska and found an area that was like 40 miles from the nearest town and then sprinkled a fictional location into, you know, an abandoned farm into there where there's probably an active functioning one. Right. But while I was doing that, I was like, okay, so the nearest town is this. And looking at Google Maps, I saw, hey, there's an airport. And that changed my setting or my session prep. Yeah, it did. Because you were like, hey, there's a, a team coming in at this period of time, but you need to be in and out before that. Things like that. Yeah. I remember that. Getting a high level overview, literally, of what things look like is a big deal. Same with major highways. Uh, highways, especially in the U.S., are the main way everybody gets around. Maybe yeah. uh, in places where you have more public transportation, rail lines and bus stations matter. Ways to get in and out of an area tend to be really important, shockingly. Yeah. The next one, Wikipedia. This will give you any interesting history that the location has, for one thing. History, general demographic information. Yeah. Which I think is really nice. You know, sometimes I'm surprised by how many or how few people are actually in a particular location. Uh, My hometown, Greenville, South Carolina, the actual city population is really small, but the metro population is like 10 times that because Greenville's this big spread out area and the city proper is a lot smaller than what everyone calls Greenville. So I always get surprised by that. And then, you know, well, and wait, uh, this doesn't seem right. Oh, the city's small. That's interesting. Is there something to that? Yeah, it's kind of like St. Louis in that way. Although St. Louis is, I guess, even more dramatic if you listen to the Fear the Boot guys. Yeah, it's, it's a similar sort of thing where you just have these little isolated townships that all kind of come together. You know, maybe that has bearing, maybe it doesn't, but knowing that is often I, useful. I think that has some bearing. I mean, you know, if you've got X number of people in an area that's, you know, spread out as the St. Louis metroplexes where it's just endless suburbs, basically, it's going to feel radically different in terms of architecture and what you're going to run into on the street and everything else from something like Chicago or New York or Los Angeles, where it's a lot more dense and You know, people are kind of stacked on top of each other. Right. And of course, Wikipedia will give you all sorts of information about big attractions. Again, the sort of thing that outsiders need to know, major employers, uh, all sorts of just general useful info. Uh, The last one that I think everybody talks about and knows about that I want to skim over real quick, places you've actually been. I think we all do this. We just take an area that we've been and just sort of copy and paste it into a game. 
Uh, yeah, it's it's a gas station like this, and we we kind of picture a gas station that we stopped at at some point. Yeah. If you don't need a specific location... You might as well use one that you know. The other yeah. thing, too, is if you're going to use this in your games, and I think you should, be on the lookout as you're just kind of out and about in your everyday life for places that fill like a common role, you know, like the gas station or a fast food restaurant, but have something interesting and quirky about them, because that way when your players go to visit one of those places... If you want, you can give it a little bit more personality, and they may actually want to come back and, hey, you've done some world building without really having to work at it. Yeah, there's a store in downtown Greenville that sells beef jerky and nothing but. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of a neat place, right? Yeah, I'll bet. How big is it? Interestingly, it has competition from a major beef jerky outlet. Apparently, we like our. I beef was going to say, you Southerners really like your jerky. Apparently, uh, Greenville does. Apparently, but anyway, like you kind of look at that and go, "That's an interesting store. That's the kind of thing that I would never have thought of, but would stand out in players' minds." Yeah, it certainly would. Just keep an eye out for weird little things like that. It's very useful. Okay, so let's move on to our actual advice. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm going to be using the Inspector's game a fair bit here. That's just fine. because this is a lot of the research that I did for this. Well, and it's been a very location-focused game, so that's a good way it to has. go. It, it, to a certain degree, it was kind of a tour of Charleston, because Charleston, South Carolina, is this old, haunted city. And for a ghost-busting kind of game, oh, it's perfect. And it's got so much history that you can draw from. It works perfectly. But big thing that I used to get started was actually one of those trip planning sites like uh, TripAdvisor or other sites like that. I No others come to mind. I think I ended up using TripAdvisor. That's not a plug for them. Just it's a thing that I, I remembered. They have, of course, reviews of locations and write-ups of attractions in the area. And more to the point, they have user pictures of those areas. And that's a really great way to get started. You know, okay, what's important around here and what do people go to? Now, this is things that people who are typically outsiders, people who are taking a trip there, find important. So if you're an everyday resident, it'll have a different vibe. But if you're visiting the city, it's really cool. Let me pull a little bit from my bookseller knowledge for a moment. Mm -hmm. There, I think it's uh, Zagat makes this series of books called the NFT Guide, not for tourists, with the implication that they're for people who are going to live in an area. Those may right. have some interesting information if you really want to dig deep. Yeah, and conversely, if you want to know about things that are really important to the people who live in an area, real estate listings are huge. Yeah. They're a tremendous help. They'll also give you an idea of what the local architecture looks like. Yeah, well, that's true, kind of depending on if you can find some of the older stuff, certainly. If it's... A lot of cookie-cutter houses. Uh, you but you not. know, the thing is, cookie-cutter houses in different parts of the country are different. Like, no, Okay, that's true. Maybe I'm just being a little provincial. Yeah, up here in the upper Midwest, everybody has basements because we get tornadoes in this area and stuff. In other parts of the country's houses are built on slabs. Yeah, I've got a crawl space that's about three feet tall. Yeah. That's it. That's how the house is built. It never needed a basement. Yeah. And frankly, digging a basement in red clay is incredibly unpleasant so most yeah. people try not to yeah i can imagine the uh the backhoe would be like no 
Well, backhoes are fine, but the house is like 60 years old. Nah, Doing that by they, hand is just They still unpleasant. had backhoes back then, but it was... Oh, they probably did. But still, I, I mean, clay is I don't think my wife's really, grandfather would have used one, but... But, okay, but we're, you know, in our banter, we're illustrating something here. I mean, there's, there's yeah. reasons why you'll have architectural differences. You go down to, like, Arizona or something, and the houses are probably designed to help you keep cool. There's probably a lot more solar panels, because it's... Always sunny, and yep. California houses are earthquake rated because, you know, the ground shakes out there. But the other great thing about real estate listings is that a lot of them will talk about convenience to certain places. Yeah. It's schools are the big one, but also just minutes away from such and such shopping center. Okay, well, now that's a place that's a real place with a lot of different stores, and maybe it's someplace interesting or, you know, minutes from downtown such and such. These are real places that people actually want. How far away is the highway? Are there swimming pools or hockey rinks? It just You know, some things like that that you can kind of get into and get a sense of how things are actually set up there. Google Street View does a similar thing, and it is fantastic for giving a, well, street level view of any place that you are having events happen in yeah i did this in the inspectors game kind of letting you guys look around an area and i think that helped a lot because you got a real sense for the the park oh yeah i mean i remember we we're like okay i want to get up on the roof of that hotel and take a look out over this and here's the thing i had never thought about that hotel never once i was like well this is the area hey guys it's right here hotel oh well now we've got a hotel Players are adding things in that they saw on this this street view. That's kind of neat. The thing is, though, I had picked out this park as a location because it has ancient cannon and a pineapple-shaped fountain. Hey, why not? It's funny. Yeah, it's it's actually a really cool park. (laughs) It's a cool little park. But what I had not realized was that it was literally next to an old residential area that looked pretty wealthy. So... Instead of this kind of isolated park where it's just kind of in this industrial area and nobody's actually around it at night, there are lots of people living next door to the park at night. So then that changes the monster of the week thing that I was doing there. Can't be something really obvious. How are people not seeing this happen? Yeah, and then I had to go and create suspicion that it might have been a were armadillo. Yes, well, yeah, but (laughs) where something was interesting and and where something was kind of in my thoughts on that but also then it's like okay well if there's a were creature running around or something controlling it there are dogs yeah do they not notice what's the deal with the dogs so then i had to think about all this stuff so just getting a street level view of these things helps enormously because you look at it and find little details and start thinking about how this location actually interacts with its surroundings and that makes it a much more involved but realistic setting so there's a lot of value to that i see you've got uh local or regional forum subreddits facebook groups and so forth yeah this is less of a thing that you can look up although certainly going there and browsing around and seeing what's happening is helpful but i'm thinking of those mostly as a place for you to be able to ask questions Uh, and this is good advice if you're telling any sort of story in a location you haven't actually been to You can always get on and say, hey, uh, what's something you guys know as locals that no outsider knows, but is really cool? People love bragging about where they live, usually. And they'll say, oh, well, this and this, or we had this happen. They'll give you all sorts of information because you're asking them instead of just going and looking things up. Likewise, you know, hey, if you wanted to stage an action scene in your city, 
where would you put it? Yeah. It's a fun question and people would jump all over that. You can get all sorts of interesting information out of that. And if you have a game set there, keep an eye on that. As things happen, maybe you you bring those into the game. It's real events happening in the city. You might as well. Well, I can tell you where I'd stage an action city in my tiny little town of, you know, 7,500 people. Yeah. There's some abandoned industrial buildings around here. Those would be amazing for a shootout or, you know, something similar. Yeah, perfect. Along the same veins, as far as following events... Local news websites. Yeah. Whether those be TV, radio, or newspaper, the format doesn't matter so much as just finding out what's going on and what's important to people there. I know there's there's like a county-wide newspaper for my region, and then there's one for just these two little towns, the one that I live in and the one right next to it, that are kind of together in this township. And they both come out with something on a fairly regular basis, and you wouldn't think there'd be enough material, but there's always something in there. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of it is going to be the crime beat and car accidents and little things like that, but there's a lot of community event stuff. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the time it isn't that, because they don't want to just, first of all, when, it's when, depressing. Well, not only is it depressing, but when the population density is as low as this area, there just isn't that much of it. I mean, you know, there's right. there are only so many people to get in trouble, and most of them are probably at home watching football or something. So, you know, there's not a lot of crime news and stuff out. I mean, yeah, teenagers commit petty theft and vandalism, and every once in a while somebody does something really bad. But a lot of it's just like, hey, this local business does this or that, or, you know, this mm -hmm. local person is involved with this or that or that, you know, and it's... Business is the big one yeah. because everybody's everybody wants a job. Who's the big employer or right. what companies are looking at moving in? You know, what's going on that people might want to get involved well, with? Well, let me give you a really good local example from another town that's kind of in the other direction. It's, I don't know, 15 minutes drive from where I live. This is Harvard, mm -hmm. Illinois. Years ago, back in the 90s, uh, Motorola decided to come in and set up this huge manufacturing plant in Harvard. Massive, okay. beautiful facility. I've seen parts of the inside of it once and that ran for a while i want to say it ran for five or six years and then motorola started really taking a beating in the market and they shut it down well the town had done all of this stuff to get this plant and everything i mean it's a small town it's like maybe ten thousand people and you know people moved out there and stuff and all of a sudden this huge source of jobs has just dried up it's gone then there's also this vast parking lot and this huge corporate campus building and stuff like that, and it's all just sitting there empty. Don't yep. tell me that any half-competent game master couldn't do tons with that. Here's another thought. I'm looking at the uh, Greenville, South Carolina newspaper website right now, something I had never thought of until just this moment, weather reports. Oh, yeah. You know, the kind of weather that you have in a particular area matters. And some of it may be pretty obvious. Oh, yeah, it's up north. It might be like this. But also, oh, hey, this place gets warmer than I thought or colder than I thought. There's not a lot of rain. It's kind of dry. I can't really do a lot of snow stuff, even though it's up north. You can always get a sense of well, that. Well, and sort if of thing. you want to go like time critical, just this past weekend, as we're recording this, we had a historic snowfall here in my area. Dropped, I want to say, 19 inches on us. But because it lasted for so long and came down so slowly, we basically just shrugged it off. That actually yeah. made the news. You know, it's like near record snowfall hits Chicago area. Chicago area basically shrugs it off. The thing is, even when something like that happens, 
first of all, you can have stuff that's going on while it's snowing. You know, it's like, okay, well, it's the time of year where they get historic snowfalls. So if I want to, you know, have something where they're trying to get from point A to point B, I can have a blizzard or something slow them down because that happens this time of year. Or once you've had all of that snow, I mean, it's it was minus nine today here. So that stuff doesn't melt quickly like it does kind of down in your area. It sits around for a long time, so it actually oh, transforms yeah. the local area. You've got these huge mounds of snow. The roads are a little bit slicker. You've got these big plowed-up mounds. The trees are all covered in it. It completely transforms the landscape and the way that people get around to a lesser extent. Right, and, you know, hiding places and all sorts yeah, of fun Yeah, absolutely. Well, and people leave tracks on snow now, and, you know, it's— Right. I, I can't tell you how many winter— the stories there are that I see of, yeah, the cops followed his footprints in the snow to where he was hiding. Yeah. If you're running some action-y kind of game or a spy thriller kind of game, you can't run through snow. You'll leave tracks well, unless it's snowing hard. Yeah, and the thing is, if it's snowing hard enough, your tracks will be gone much faster than you think. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you're going to get lost, too, if, yep. if it's that kind of story. Just looking at the Greenville website here. These are just all plot hooks. Such and such lands, 30 million in new business. Okay, well, hey, if I'm running a shadow running kind of game, interesting. What's going on there? Uh, fatal shooting, two fires reported at same home this week. Ufta. Running some occulty sort of game? Hmm, interesting. That I obviously feel sorry for whoever's living there. That's terrible. But at the same time, you look at it and go, that's neat. What else is going on? You know, scouting events. It sounds silly, but tickets on sale for college baseball at the local baseball field. Already in February? Yeah, college. Well, also but, at the South. And, you know, so. and tickets on state. On, yeah, <laughs> we could do it whenever. It doesn't matter. It's not like we roof any of our baseball fields. What would be the point? <laughs> but more to the point, like, you know, hey, maybe that factors in somehow. You're creative people. You can come up with reasons for, a, you know, a baseball game or a college baseball player to matter or people coming in to see the game mattering all sorts of stuff like that right yeah absolutely the other fun thing to use it for by the way get names <laughs> names and locations always nice related to the news community event calendars and i want to pick these specifically because things that happen in the middle of other events are much more memorable can you remember everybody who you met at Applebee's in the Shadowrun game? Mm, not everybody. If you worked at it, you might come up with the list, but we've kind of been using Applebee's as a jokey, you know, it doesn't matter where you meet them, that's not going to be part of the story yeah. set and, and a running joke. It's the um, shoot at the end of the plot engine where it come, the plot comes out, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's, all right, you have a nice, safe meeting with the Johnson, and here's the mission, right? Yep. Because I'm not running a game where you're having to secure the place because the Johnson is guaranteed to turn on you. It's not that kind of game. Yeah. It's not like, okay, our three different snipers on different corners of the building report that we're clear. The hacker isn't right. seeing anything. Okay, now we can sit down and eat dinner with the guy that we're supposed to get the job from. Yeah, thank goodness right. you're not running but, that, by the way. You're welcome. I would hate it myself. But we met him in a bar is a lot less memorable than we met him at the cardboard regatta in the city recreation center. And, it, you know, we were all watching cardboard boats race down a swimming pool because that gives all sorts of interesting flavor. And you associate that event with the NPC that you're meeting there or the events that happen there. By the way, the cardboard regatta is a real thing happening here. Huh. It's kind of cool. 
it's building boats out of cardboard boxes and seeing who can float slash race to the end. It's kind of fun. It's something to do in February. <laughs> Water's not liquid in February where I live. Just saying. Well, in fairness, it's an indoor swimming center, so. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes it, uh, trust me, it would be miserable even down here to try and do that. <laughs> you'd, you'd have outside, to get to Southern but... Florida before that became not miserable. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, at the same time, if I said, yeah, well, you met him here, you'd go, oh, right, the the cardboard thing and the crazy thing that happened there instead of oh, which guy at which bar. Yeah, it just it creates those mental associations that help give players hooks to remember. Well, things. and you'll notice that a lot of TV shows will do that. Like, uh, sure. if you watch um, Leverage, a lot of the time they'll have meetings with, you know, people that they're working for or working against or that sort of thing in interesting places like, you know, racetracks or there was one that I remember in particular where it was like a horse racing thing. So they they had scenes at the racetrack and out at the, the farm where the horses were kept. And I think maybe even like a veterinary thing was involved. And that that helps at cements, you know. Law and Order does the same thing. The reason the detectives are going around interviewing people where they are instead of calling people in to the precinct station is because it's visually interesting and helps you remember, oh, this guy is this kind of person. Yeah, this guy is a, you know, tough, taciturn steel worker, or this guy is an academic, or... A delivery guy. Okay, cool. All sorts of things. Next couple that we wanted to talk about, and this was yours in particular, abandoned sites slash urban exploration Yeah, places. if you want to see a bunch of kind of cool and or really spooky abandoned buildings or sites or that sort of thing do some googling for abandoned places and urban exploration a lot of the time you'll see some really neat pictures um factories that have been shut down you know for decades and have started to crumble don't just limit yourself to the united states either by the way pictures of the um the zone around chernobyl that you can't go into anymore those are grimly fascinating in a way that only russia can be Although I guess that's Ukraine, but Eastern Europe, former Soviet locations. Yeah. Similar to that, on Reddit, there's a whole network of photography subreddits. They call it the safe for work porn network, you know, in the same way that's like, oh, food porn or, you know, landscape porn, things right. like that. You know, there's nothing sexual about it, but it just they're really good images. And you just go, oh, wow, that's that looks good. There's whole subreddits for abandoned building photography or really cool landscapes. A great way to just kind of get good pictures that you can use to show dramatic pictures of neat places. I got two other sources that I'd like to recommend. There's WeirdUS.com. It's legends, odyssey, or um, oddities, folklore, uh, everything from like, you know, cars on a stick outside of a car dealership to ghost stories to... Anything weird, really. You can also find the books in physical bookstores. I think they might be exclusive to Barnes & Noble, but I'm not sure about that. I do know for sure that Barnes & Noble has them, and they can usually order them in for whatever location you happen to be, uh, or whatever state, rather, you happen to be in. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and the great thing about those is that they're not just limited to a modern game. If you're doing anything going back to the time of those stories, you've got a resource. Yeah, and the other thing that's nice is they're not just limited to strictly factual stuff like a travel guide would be if, you know, if there's a, a legend about a haunted roadway or something, 
that would be in one of those. The bookstore that I have worked at for the last 13 years is supposedly haunted. Spoiler, it's not. I've never seen anything even remotely weird at work that wasn't one of my coworkers or myself in a bathroom mirror. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's legends and stuff around about all kinds of different places. And if you're doing like a, a horror or an urban fantasy kind of game, well, maybe some of those are true. And then the other one that I really specifically want to call out is historical GURPS books. Steve Jackson Games has really high standards for research and writing, and GURPS books tend to be very useful even if you're not running GURPS at all because they'll go into all kinds of information that is specifically designed to be gameable. They tend to go back a ways, so it's going to be more useful if you're looking for something about, say, the Age of Napoleon than something about the 1970s, but they're a really solid resource if that's the sort of thing that you're looking for. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so I think we should close out with a couple of bits of advice to handle a few common pitfalls. Okay. And the first one of these is what to do when players know more about the location than the GM does. We're kind of approaching this mostly from a GM's yeah. angle. And I think that's okay. But what what do you do as the GM when the player's... No more than you do. Uh, my first piece of advice would be a roll with it. That player just became your new resource. I agree. I, I know there are a lot of people who are afraid of running any game in any setting where the players know more about it than they do. I'm actually more concerned about that with fictional settings than I am with real ones. Yeah. I wonder if that's just a learned response. May or maybe we just don't have the same tools to handle it. I, I don't know. Perhaps. I also like making my own settings a lot, though, so it's... That yeah. may factor in some, too. It's like, oh, I don't want to be setting lawyer to, hey, look, ideas. I would have no problem with it. Although, in fairness, I think all the games that I have run, I have known everything about it, and the players largely have not. Like, Chrissy knows about as much about Charleston as I do. Me and the other players live in vastly different parts of the country, so we haven't right. got a clue. Shadowrun. None of us live in Seattle. I'm the Shadowrun resource. And it's, right. it's what, 60 years in the future anyway, so a lot has changed. Uh, something like that, yeah. I think it's perfectly fine to just say, cool, tell me about it. Where'd be a cool place for this NPC? Well, and the thing is, this kind of is, is um, I don't know, another version of, of the, hey, let's get up on the roof of that hotel in this picture and take a look at this from the air. Yeah, just you say, oh, that's a cool idea. I hadn't known about it slash hadn't thought about it, but... All the usual advice about handling unexpected things your players throw at you works just fine to handle this, just like everything else. Yep. Detail. I will say, this has tripped me up a few times, not in any of these games, but in uh, map making when I was trying to run the Eberron game years and years ago. Oh, yeah? I wanted my maps to be super detailed. Like, I was looking up Photoshop tutorials to get effects right and... You know, oh, I want it to look like this, and I need this. All these little tiny details, and it was incredibly time-consuming. I would have been much better off if I'd just drawn a few squares and said, use your imagination. Yeah. So I think it's perfectly fine to just theater the mind most of this. If you know you're going to have a, a combat, if you're running kind of a crunchy, tactical, we-need-maps-and-minis kind of game, prepare some areas like that. Well, and for that... Actual house plans are available on the internet. Grab those or architectural plans for... I mean, you've done that how many times in the Shadowrun game for various places? <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of times I end up 
because shockingly, government buildings tend not to have their blueprints online. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why that could be in the post 9-11 world. No ideas are coming to mind. Oh, wait. (laughs) Shocker. But what I've done a lot of times is for anything that isn't a residence, university buildings usually have blueprints because university buildings are fun. You know, they're big fundraising campaigns and they want to show off the the model for it. Right. Yeah. And so you get the blueprint, like the uh, the town hall that you guys raided that was connected to a courthouse. Yeah. That was a college library. Okay. Yeah. I think you said something about that. Yeah, that was really good. It worked. It worked great. It worked really well. It had big open spaces, lecture hall places that I called courtrooms, and it had study areas that I was like, uh, this is big cubicle farms, and then a big records room where the record you guys needed to get to was. And so it was just like, it's got everything I need. I just need to rebrand a lot of it. Yeah, and this is kind of the age-old file off the serial numbers and use it for what you need it for advice that every podcast about role-playing games has been dispensing for all eternity. Exactly. But it works, and I did not spend hours and hours trying to piece together an exact model of the local town hall. I just made one up, and that's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. The last bit of advice we want to give, I think, is... Be careful with revered or sensitive sites. Yeah. And this is... It's going to depend on your game a lot. If you're running a game where you're all members of a secret Catholic organization chasing vampires, holy ground and graveyards are going to be important. If you're a bunch of uh, building-smashing superheroes, might not be a real good idea to go through, like, Arlington National Cemetery or something. Well, or be aware that these places exist and use them appropriately. Yeah. I think it would be okay to say, let's meet in Arlington, because we're neither of us going to start anything there. It would be disrespectful, and you're an honorable enough supervillain that you're not going to start anything there. Let's meet there and talk. Yeah. Right? You're respecting it. It's featuring in your game. It's something that people know about, but you're not, you know, using it as a... You're, you're avoiding the Michael Bay slash Independence Day syndrome, where you're just blowing up monuments. Exactly. Just... It's the kind of thing where I'm not going to say avoid them, but be careful and be aware of them. And I think it's okay to use them if you're careful with them, because shockingly, sensitive, revered sites are sometimes interesting. Usually, actually. So maybe there's something there that you can bring into your game. Know the know the proclivities of your players and stuff. I mean, I think I could probably do a lot with our group with, you know, certain historical sites and stuff, like, you know, Gettysburg or something, you know, if, if it was sure. like a supernatural game. I don't think any of you guys would have any trouble going and talking to a ghost on the battlefield of Gettysburg. Tromping around in, you know, immediately post 9-11 Ground Zero in New York might be a little more tasteless. So, yeah, mechs through Washington, D.C. might be... Uh, you know, a little or, tasteless. Or mechs through a children's hospital. I mean... Yeah, things like that. Just be smart yeah. about it. And especially if you're playing with a group whose sensitivities you aren't fully aware of. Or especially if you don't share them. Oh, I think you too. have to kind of account for the highest degree of sensitivity in your group. Well, sure. So. I think that's always true. And a lot of this we've talked about before. Yeah, lines and veils and yeah. You know, just knowing your group. But it is something to keep in mind... 
I suspect a lot of our listeners would not be happy about action scenes in a church. No, probably not. But you could certainly use that church as an interesting location. Maybe an abandoned one. I don't know. It would be a case by case, you know? It'd be it'd be very case by case. Yeah. That's a lot more than I think we originally thought we had, but there's a lot yeah. there. I think I thought we had about this much, but yeah. Oh, you're smarter than me. So <laughs> Not even close. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next time. Have a good one, folks. Take it easy. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through InroadsMinistries.com, RPGPodcasts.com, Stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.